I'm going to teach you tonight. Uh, the message title is called Getting Your Life Back. Come on. Come on. Romans 5, verse 17 out of the Message Bible. I, I hope we're going to put it on the screen because I didn't write it down. Can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes when those who grasp with both hands the wildly extravagant life gift? This, listen to the words, this grand setting everything right that the one Jesus Christ provides. Listen to the words again. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the breathtaking recovery? Now, pay attention to this. Every word of the Bible is anointed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? Why is it, though, that it's human nature to allow our imaginations to run wild on everything that has or everything that could go wrong? Why is it that we lay in bed at night and we torment ourselves on the one thing that went wrong that day when the truth is you had a pretty great day and you had a bad five minutes, but you come home and you say, oh, the day was horrible. Was it the day was horrible or the five minutes was horrible? Because the truth is your life is pretty darn good. And the enemy is trying to rob you of a, an amazing gift God gave you, and that is your imagination. Wow. See, I believe God gave us our imagination, and if God gave something to us, that means he wants it to be used for something godly, something good. And tonight he's inspiring us, let's take control of our imagination. The Bible says, and listen to me, you can take control of your mind. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. In the Greek, the word sound means a disciplined mind. So God has given you the ability to discipline your mind, to take control of your mind, of your thoughts, to punish any opposing thought to what the word of the Lord says about you, and to bring it, the Bible says, into captivity to what God says about your life. So tonight he's saying, can you imagine? Can you imagine laying in bed at night and instead of being filled with anxiety and depression, being filled with hope, faith, mercy, and an expectation for God to do something amazing the next morning? Can you imagine the breathtaking recovery? Oh, this isn't some ordinary recovery. This isn't an average recovery. No, because there's nothing ordinary about the God we serve. This recovery is so life-altering, God says it's going to take your breath away. He's going to, as if it was in emojis, it would be the little blow-your-mind emoji. You know that one, like, with fireworks and the clappy hands? And if it was on Instagram, we would have the new Kanye, Jesus is King, playing behind it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like... You know, I had to use that today because every church in America did. Can you imagine? We're just so excited that he's born again. Praise the Lord. The breathtaking recovery life makes. That word recovery, listen, it means the regaining of something lost or taken away. It means restoration or a return to health or normal condition. But listen to this. It means the process of regaining possession of your life. Wow. 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 Have you ever felt like your life was just out of control? Wow. 
Have you ever woken up and thought, man, it's just slipping away? Where did my joy go? Where did my peace go? Where did my rest go? Where did my hope go? Well, I'm here to tell you tonight that it's time to get your life back. God didn't give you that life for it to slip out of your hands. Tonight, you're going to start getting your life back. And it's not just going to be ordinary. This is going to be breathtaking. God is going to do something so extraordinary. You will have no choice but to glorify and honor God with the recovery and the repossession of what has lost coming back into your life. Can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes when we just grab with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift? And what's the gift? This grand setting everything right. Sometimes life can go wrong, huh? Like it just goes wrong. Something happened. Sometimes it's something you did. Sometimes it's something somebody else did. Sometimes it was the attack of the enemy. Sometimes it was D, all of the above. You know what I'm saying? You did a little something, they did a little something, then the enemy got in in that something. But you know what's beautiful about God? When Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, he even meant in your worst times. He even meant when you mess up, when you sin, when you destroyed your life, when you went wrong, he'll still never leave you. And what even more, he says, I got a gift for you. When it goes wrong, I'm going to be here in the worst, in the mess, and I'm going to help you set it right. And you know the beautiful thing about a gift? A gift is something that you don't have to pay for, but you get to reap the benefit of. Amen? Can you imagine this breathtaking recovery life makes in those who grab with both hands. The gift, this grand setting everything right. But you know, sadly, so many people, Christians included, we live our lives not open to this promise, to this reality. So many Christians live their lives with like a sense of devastation. With pain, we carry a burden of regret, of shame, of guilt. We live feeling like a fire has gone through our lives and we're left in ashes. But, you know, uh, Jesus spoke to David and told David, I will bring beauty from ashes. We don't stay in ashes as children of God. We rise up and God even can make beauty from those ashes. I want to tell you that recovery is available. Recovery is possible. But let me take it one step further and tell you that recovery is here tonight and he lives on the inside of you. And it's time to get your life back. But let me tell you what this means. It means that we're going to have to stop carrying the identity of what happened to us. We're going to have to begin rejecting the pain. Too many of us have accepted that the pain will be with us for the rest of our life. Too many of us have accepted the burden of regret. Too many of us are walking with an identity of shame. We're carrying 
as almost as a banner over our lives. The issues or the hurt or the betrayal of the past. I had someone in my office one day. It was an amazingly good-looking young couple, and they came in, and I was, they were all dressed to the nines, and they're like, man. I was like, wow, look at you two. Why are you here to see me? And they were engaged. And this girl and her fiance, I, I, so I, I always go like, I'm like, hey, all right, so what's up? And, she, and the girl goes, we have trust issues in our relationship. I went, oh, okay. So who cheated on who? Oh, no, no nobody. I went, well, why do you have trust issues then? She goes, well, he won't respond to my text messages, and I text him, and I call him, and he doesn't respond when I text him, and he, I just wait for him, and then I get all worked up, and I text him more, and he's like... So I look at this dude, and I'm like, how come you're not responding to your fiance? He's like, she knows why I don't respond. Well, the brother was a doctor. And um, for a certain time during the day, he is with patients. <laughs> and I'm like, I could tell on his face. I went, you're done with this, aren't you, man? He's like, yep, I'm done. And I'm like, I look at her. I go, sweetheart, do you realize that this doctor <laughs> who also loves Jesus and comes to church and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's a doctor? And he's like, Dr. McDreamy? I'm like, holy cow, like, how good looking can you be? <laughs> like, I love my wife, she's beautiful, but I ain't blind. You know, I was like, dude, can you, you're intimidating me. <laughs> like, stop it. And I look at her, and I go, well, what's up? Has he ever cheated on you? No. Have you, like, found inappropriate texting? No. Like, any weird DMs or... No. This is what she... She actually did this. I can't make this stuff up, okay? Like, Javid knows. Like, as pastors, you can't make up the funny stories. And she goes, well, you know, pastor, I have trust issues. And I was like... I go, well, what's that about? She's like, well, my boyfriend in college, when I was in Zeta, he cheated on me. And I was like, so you're going to let what happened 10 years ago destroy what God has brought you today. And then a year from now, you're going to be in my heart, in, in my office, going, oh, pastor. I just need a good man in my life. And I'm going to be like, yeah, you had one. And you ran him off. Philippians 3, verse 13. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing, 
How many of you know in the Bible, like if, if the Apostle Paul or any of them say like this one thing or, you know, above all else, you know, like in Proverbs, wisdom is the principal thing. Like this is the Apostle Paul, the chiefest of the disciples. And he says, I don't know everything, but I know one thing. How many of you know he knew a lot more than one thing? He wrote the majority of the New Testament. But he's like, I know one thing, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to the call of God on my life. Isaiah 43, (laughs) verse 18, it says, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, what does it say? I will do a new thing. Did you know that God is the God of new things? He's not worried about your past. The Bible says he has erased the sin of your past along with the shame, the regret, the guilt. But so many of us Christians are living with our eyes focused on the rear view mirror instead of focusing our eyes on what God is doing today and where he is taking us in the future. And he's here saying, don't remember the former thing. God wants to do a new thing. New joy, new peace, new hope, new healing, new restoration, new relationships, new businesses, new campuses, new salvation. God is the God of new things. But at some point, we have to decide, I'm not gonna live in what happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It's time to let it go. It's time to be free from it. It's time to start forgetting and start believing. God is the God of new things. I dare someone to shout new things. Oh, praise the Lord. Then look what it says. Oh, can we put it back up? There we go. I will even make a road in the wilderness. And a river? Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. No, no, no. This is that wildly extravagant God. It's not a river. It's rivers. Rivers. Rivers of our family members getting saved. Rivers of contracts being signed. Rivers of raises, rivers of promotion, rivers of debts being paid off. This is the God who makes rivers through the desert. What do I got to do to get the river? Nothing. Just stop living in your past. That's all you got to do. And every morning, Wake up and say, God, your mercy is restored for me this morning. Do a new thing. Praise the Lord. One more scripture, and then we're going to get into the teaching. (laughs) Hey, you know us, Bible, you cannot accuse the Neiman family of not giving scripture in a teaching. Jabin knows that, man. If anything, we give too much. Micah chapter 7. Micah's in the Old Testament, if you don't know that. <laughs> Some of you are like, 
There's a book named Micah? Yeah. Says, but me, I'm not giving up. I'm sticking around to see what God's going to (laughs) do. I'm waiting for God to what? Make things right. I'm counting on God to listen to me. Verse 8. Listen, don't, Satan, crow over me. I'm down, but say it with me. I'm not out. I'm sitting in the dark right now, but my God is my light. I love that. I love that. Oh, I may be down, and I I like to get a little attitude about it. Oh, I'm down, but baby, I'm not out. You know what I'm saying? Like, you get a little attitude. Well, the devil's got attitude. It's about time some Christians get some attitude. You know what I'm saying? We get some attitude about God being our hope and our salvation. Amen. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. Are you glad you came to church? 29 verse 6, we're going to talk about King David. There's going to be a lot of Hebrew names in here not named David, and I don't know how to say them. So, uh, just (laughs) full disclosure, like this first one, we're going to call him John. Is that cool? Sure. I would say that in the Hebrew, his name was John, but I don't know if that's true or not. We're just going to call him John. It's a good Bible name. It says, then John called David. And <laughs> I love your hat, by the way, the city light hat. That's pretty awesome. Everybody needs to buy the gear. Then John called David and said to him, surely as the Lord lives, you have Been upright. You've done everything right. And you're going out and you're coming in, and the army is good in my sight. Verse 7. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming. Nevertheless, the Lord's don't favor you. You ever been doing everything right and they still talking mess about you? You ever been showing up to work and getting there early and working hard and doing the best on your projects and having a good mood even when you don't want to and shutting your mouth even when you shouldn't and you're staying late and the boss still doesn't give you the raise? And they still talking mess about you on the gram and they still throwing you under the bus? Have you ever felt like you were doing the best you could? I mean, you know you're not perfect, but you're like, Lord, I'm trying hard. I'm even willing to go to the other campus. I don't even live close to it. But you said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And my pastor asked me, so I'm doing it. And now I blew a tire. I mean, have you ever felt like you were just, you're just trying so hard. And they still didn't like you. Well, guess what? You're in good company. Because it happened to David. You want to know who else it happened to? A guy named Jesus. He had to leave his own city. 
Can you imagine having Jesus in your midst and you just miss it? Because your heart's not open to it. So check this out, chapter 30. Now I'm going to read the first eight scriptures and then we're just going to break it down a little bit. It says, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and and Ziklag. They attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, and they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. Okay, so David and his men are off doing the Lord's work. Literally. They're off doing what the Lord told them to do. And while they're off doing what the Lord told them, they're not off living in sin. No, they're off doing what the Lord told them to do. Okay? So another enemy comes, kidnaps their wives and their children, steals all their possessions worth stealing, and then burns everything that wasn't worth taking. Boy, you talk about having a bad day. And says, so David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their, wi- their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, we're going to call her uh, Joni and, and Sue. So Jody and Sue and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. And now David was greatly distressed. Yeah, I bet he was. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Then David said to Bill, please bring the ephod here to me. And Bill brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord. That means he prayed. He said, he said, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered. He said, pursue, for you shall overtake them and without fail recover. How much? All. Let's break this down a little bit. Check this out. Verse four, then David and the people who were with him, they lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. I bet some of you have been through that. I bet some of you have been betrayed so bad. There's people in here, you've gone through tragedy. You ever cried so much that your tear ducts dried up? Some of you have had that pain where you cried so deep that it actually started to hurt when you cried. You know, I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence that this is David who would also write, and they, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah. I bet you some of you have walked through the valley of the shadow of weeping. Yeah. I bet you have. Where it seemed like the enemy took all. And your life was left burned. But can I tell you that the key phrase in Psalms 23 is not the valley of the shadow of death? The key phrase is to walk through it. 
We don't stay in the valley. See, the enemy wants you to stay in the valley. He wants you to think that the pain is too deep, that the shame is too much, that there's too many people against you. He wants you to think that your joy is lost. He wants you to weep until you, and think that you're going to weep the rest of your life. He wants to keep you in mourning. He wants that when you cry out, you think you're not crying out to anything. But the Lord says that the righteous cry out and he hears us and he is near to us. The Lord says that the, when the, those with a broken heart, that he comes to them to heal the broken heart. The Lord says in the word that though sorrow may come in the evening, joy cometh in the morning. Don't count me out, devil. When I fall, I shall arise. I may be down, but I'm getting back up. I'm grabbing on with both hands. This breathtaking recovery. My life may be wrong, but Jesus, you're here to set things right. Amen. All right, I got to keep going. Verse 6, now David was greatly distressed, for the speak people spoke of stoning him. What? They spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved. That word grieved means they turned to hostility due to bitterness. Now listen to me, church. This is where it's at. It's right here. This is where Proverbs 4, above all else, guard your heart. It's in the weeping that your life is at a crossroad. And you can either choose to live in the weeping or you can choose to guard your heart and let God be near to you and heal your heart. Hebrews 12 verse 15 calls bitterness a root. It's a root. And what do roots do? They go deep and they spread. See, bitterness will spread into every area of your life if you don't get it out of your life. Amen? One time uh, when my grandmother was alive, she's in heaven now, but she called me and she said, Jared, can you come visit? And I would go every week. I was like, sure, grandma. So I get there and we're chatting. She's like, now, Jared, uh, will you come with me? I need to show you something in my toilet. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like, I think you're like, my dad told me to respect my elders. I'm like, grandma, in my head. I'm like, grandma, there ain't nothing in your toilet that I want to see. Can I get a witness? But I'm like, okay, sure, Grandma. So we go to the back bedroom, and she's like, look at that. And I'm like, no. And I go, Grandma, what is that? And she goes, I think it's a root. I went, what? It was a root. So she had this tree in her front yard. And it had rooted so deep, it went under the foundation of her house, into the back of the house, broke through the foundation, broke through the piping, and came out the toilet. Can I tell you, that's what bitterness will do in your life. And guess what? Can I say it? It'll look like crap. Oh, man. (laughs) 
I don't know if I just lost the chance of getting invited back, but we'll see. No, you've met people like that. You've met people that something happened at work and that bitterness got and they destroyed their marriage. Can I ask you a question? Would these men killing David, would that have brought their wives and children back? Absolutely not. All it would have done was created more pain and left them without a leader. Bitterness does nothing in your life. It does not produce recovery. It does not produce healing. It produces nothing of God other than more grief and pain. So they turned to bitterness, but then it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Let me give you the literal definitions of the word strengthened. It means that he encouraged himself. He seized upon the Lord. He fastened himself to the Lord. But listen, in the original Hebrew text, it says that right then, right there, David chose to be recovered. He chose to be recovered. Listen, he chose. He made the choice. Restoration had not come yet. His, his wives, his children, his friends' wives, their children, all their possessions, it wasn't there yet. Before they got the restoration, David chose. I choose, he said, to be recovered. And listen, if David can choose to be recovered, you tonight can choose like David to be recovered. Why? Because Jesus himself in John eleven twenty said seven says, I am the stand-up and the recovery. The recovery that Jesus wants you to have is living on the inside of you. So today, no matter what you came in here with, no matter what has happened to you, no matter the pain that has been on your heart, I challenge you to say to God, I choose to be recovered. I will not be defined by being abused, by being betrayed, by being lied about, by being fired, by being hurt, by being cheated on. I will not be defined by my sin. I will not be defined by my shame. Right here, right now, in City Light Church, I choose to be recovered. No longer devil. No longer enemy. Will you steal my joy? Steal my happiness. I choose. Come on, say it with me. I choose to be recovered. Come on, say it again. I choose to be recovered. Say it again. I choose to be recovered. Now say it like you believe it. I choose to be recovered. Say it like you expect it. I choose to be recovered. Come on, let's all say it together. I choose to be recovered. Praise the Lord. And then look what happens. So then David prayed. So he chose, then he prayed. And he says, Lord, shall I pursue them? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord said, why, yes, David. You shall pursue. You shall overtake. And without fail... What? You will recover all. 
Listen, it starts with choosing to be recovered. Then it continues with pursuing. Pursuing what? The new thing God wants to do in your life. The new relationships, the new joy, the new happiness, the new freedom, the new deliverance, the new opportunities, the new doors, the new rivers, the new paths. You know, this God is the God that can make a way where there is no way. And right now, you might be thinking, oh, Jared, there is no way. Can I tell you that to declare over your life that there is no way is to declare over your life there is no Jesus for me? No, listen to what I said. Because Jesus said, I am the way. So to declare there is no way is to say to Jesus, I don't believe you can do it. I don't believe that you're, you're good enough. I don't believe that you're power. So don't declare over your life, there is no way I could be happy. There is no way that God could restore me. Don't declare that. God makes a way where there is no way. Because he is the way. The way to what? To recovery. And not just any recovery, a breathtaking recovery. So tonight, say it with me. I choose to be recovered. Bow your heads, close your eyes. You know, maybe you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with God. Did you know that you could? Did you know that you should? Did you know that everything God has done from the very first moment of time until this moment right here, right now, at 7.19 p.m. in Las Vegas, Nevada, was done and designed for you to have a relationship with him? Not religion, relationship. Man created religion. God just wants to have a relationship with you. And it is a relationship designed 100% for your benefit. And that benefit is twofold. There's the eternal benefit and the natural benefit. The natural benefit is that God wants you to have an amazing life. The Bible calls it the abundant life. It's a life uh, full of all the things I talked about tonight and so much more. But most importantly, there's the eternal aspect. What do I mean by that? Well, see, when you choose to make Jesus Lord of your life and, and accept him into your heart, the Bible says that you are placed in his family that all your sins are forgiven, your past is washed away, along with the shame and guilt that we already mentioned. And when your time here on earth is up, you will spend eternity in heaven. And can I tell you that that reality makes this the most important decision you will ever make in your life. Why? Because it is the only decision that has eternal consequence. So here's what we're gonna do. In a moment, we're gonna pray a prayer. The whole church is gonna pray it. And if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, I believe that the reason you're here tonight is for this moment, to make Jesus Lord of your life, to secure your eternity in heaven, to have your sins forgiven. Or maybe you're here, and at some point you had a relationship with God, but for whatever reason you disconnected. The reason doesn't even matter. The only thing that matters is that you're here. And you have the opportunity to reconnect with God. I like to put it this way. Maybe you just know in your heart you're not right with God. Like you believe in God. You have an awareness of God. You wouldn't necessarily call yourself atheist or agnostic. But you also know that he's not actually Lord of your life. You're not serving God. You're not connected to him. You're not right. But guess what? You can get right. 
Starting tonight, you're lost, you're broken, you're hurting, you're confused, you're tormented, you know you need a change. Well, guess what? That change starts with you choosing to get right with God tonight. So I'm gonna count to three. If you're here and you'd say, Jared, I wanna pray that prayer. Jared, I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. Jared, I'm just not right and I need to get right. I'm just not right, man, I'm tired. I need a change. I didn't even know why I came here tonight. Well, guess what? I think now you know. The worship was great. The prayer was great. The teaching, I hope, was great. But none of it matters if you don't do what you know in your heart you need to do, and that is you get right with God tonight. So I'm going to count to three before we pray. And if that's you, if you want to pray this prayer with me, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand up in the air. That's it. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Oh, but I'm embarrassed. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. In fact, we're going to celebrate you. We're going to give you a standing ovation. We're going to cheer and applaud the fact that you're making this decision. We're excited about this. And to tell you the truth, 99% of the people in the room have done exactly this at some point in their life. So if you're here tonight and you want to pray this prayer to make Jesus Lord of your life, to reconnect with him, to get right with him, on the count of three, all over the room, and there's going to be a lot of hands go up. Because you know you need this. You know you're not right and you need to get right. On the count of three, you raise your hand up. One, two, three. Come on, raise your hands up. Yep, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six. Thank you, seven, eight. Come on, give them the applause that we promised. Come on, church. Praise the Lord. Is there anyone else before we pray? In the overflow, they're telling me there's people in the overflow. If your hands are up, I can't see you, but we celebrate you. Praise the Lord. All right, now let's all pray this prayer. Everybody in here in the overflow, just repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I give you my life. I give you my heart and my soul. And I make Jesus Lord and Savior. Forgive my sins. Put my past behind me and take me to the life you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, City Light. Let's